You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's homilies. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena and pastor of Christ the King University Parish in Missoula, Montana. It's rare for all three readings in the scriptures to have one clear theme. It's not really how the lectionary is put together, but to this Sunday, it is the case. And yet I think it's still easy for us maybe to miss the boat on this one because they come at it from different angles, different lenses. So I want to dig into each reading and then focus on that theme, which is so difficult for us, that is uh, fraternal correction. Now, if you don't know what fraternal correction is or what that term means, hopefully by the end of this homily, you will. But you also will realize as I talk about it that though you might not know the phrase, it's, it's a thing that we grapple with on a daily basis. So Ezekiel is talking about the watchman, the one on the watchtower who looks out over the city, over all those he knows, and sees the wicked, and his, his job is to call them out. He knows what is wrong, the prophet, and if he does not call them out, in a sense, call them out by letting them know what it is they're doing, then though they will still die because of their wickedness, in the sense that when we destroy our lives, it doesn't matter if we know we're destroying our lives, it will happen. But they will not be blamed for it. The watchmen will be blamed. In a sense, we, as Christians, will be blamed. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to hear. So Paul digs in a little deeper. Why, why do we do this? What's, why is this part of our role uh, as Christians? Why do we call out sin? It's not because it makes our lives easier when we do so. We often do it for that reason, because someone annoys us, so we call it out. But not out of a sense of superiority either, but out of love. Love is the specific reason that we name these things. You know, Paul's in this letter to the Romans has just finished talking about the law, what it does for us, how it transforms the world. And he actually says, when the law was given, sin increased. This is an incredible mystery. So when the law was given, sin increased. And he said grace increased as well. Why, though, did sin increase when we received the law? Because we're miserable in sin. We're, we're living lives of sin, whatever. We're doing things that are vices, but we don't know that those are particular vices. We don't know them. We can't see them. We're sort of tunnel vision, blind to it. When the law comes, when we learn it, it reveals to us the thing that's making us miserable, the thing that is bringing misery to us and all those around us. But by knowing it, we, are, we, we suddenly are sinning in the sense that we know the thing that's wrong. But also, we know the thing we need to cut out of our life once we receive the law. So when we look out and we see someone who's doing something that's destroying their lives and the lives of those around them, which is what sin does, and we say nothing, then we leave that person in their misery. We allow them to continue without knowing the thing that is the cause of their misery. All we're doing is stopping them from being able to put it aright just because it's more comfortable for us not to say anything. I'll give you a couple examples. I had, when I was learning violin as a kid, I would form all these horrible habits. And my teacher would have to constantly deconstruct everything that I was doing uh, and make me utterly miserable 
so that she could fix the terrible habits that I had formed, because if she wouldn't have, I just never would have gotten good. Now, I didn't practice enough to ever really get good uh, anyways, but she was fearless uh, in calling me out for my terrible muscle memories that I had formed and breaking them down and sort of forcing me to go a new way. Another example, that one that I failed in, I could say, I was coaching basketball, junior high, and there was a kid on the team, he's a good athlete, uh, but he had formed this weird habit when he shot of having his feet like completely together, like touching each other when he shot, uh, which led to him just never having good balance uh, in, in shooting. And so he was just never going to have a great shot, especially from outside. And, you know, he's in eighth grade. He's about to go to high school. I'm like, do I really want to just destroy this kid's shot this year, ruin his eighth grade season uh, in the hopes that he will, you know, get better down the road once he fixes that bad habit? And I decided, no, he's pretty good. I actually want to win. Uh, <laughs> and, and I didn't fix his shot. And then he quit his sophomore season because he never fixed his shot. Uh, and just plateaued, never got good. And that's on me. I didn't call it out. Now, when we do this, the, the reason we don't want to do it uh, is because it hurts people to do it. You know, it's, it's not easy. We've, we know that from having received fraternal correction in our own lives. But Paul, that's why Paul specifically says that love does no evil to the beloved. But it certainly feels that way. When we correct others or when we receive correction, it certainly feels like it hurts. Well, it does hurt, but that's not evil. It's actually love, but love can be difficult. So then the gospel, how, how do we do it? What's, how do we actually go about this fraternal correction, this mission that we've been given in a specific area? And the way we do it matters. Jesus gives a very specific formula, uh, and we ought to follow this to a T. First, a one-on-one. We meet them one-on-one, and we tell them what it is. And then, if they, don't, if they can't receive it in that way, we bring others in. And if they can't receive it even with that small group, then we bring it to the church. And in that sense, we could officially bring it to the church, or we could just speak to the divine reality, uh, the, the law of God, into this situation. You know, in some ways, we, give, we do a really good job of this in certain areas specifically around drugs and alcohol. There's like a whole program around it. Uh, we, we confront the one we love, saying this, this drug or this, or this drinking is destroying your life and the lives of those around you. Uh, and you take that to them personally, and if they can't receive it, we have an intervention. That's le- legitimately the Lord's describing that. An intervention, a couple of other witnesses, people who can speak to that truth. Uh, and then if we can't do that, then we take it to some official level, like a rehabilitation or something like that. That's what we do in all areas. And you know, if, if we're serious about this, and we want to do this for real, in our own lives and in the lives of those that we love, we need to give our friends, those who love us, explicit permission to do this in our lives. That's a great way of going about it. And that will give them courage when the time comes to actually speak into our life. And ask them for permission to do the same in their lives. You know, my best friend this, to this day is, is my best friend, not because he's the most pleasant guy that I hang around. I would say if someone, you can look at the people who are the most pleasant to hang around in your life, they're probably not your best friend. Uh, 
And that's because he's my best friend because he has the courage to call me out when I need it. Uh, and he always has, which, which makes him a very unpleasant friend from time to time. But it makes him a good friend who actually loves me. In my family, we, maybe the reason I spoke specifically to alcohol, we realized 15 years ago that we have a serious problem in our family with alcohol. A lot of people have fallen into that trap uh, of alcoholism. Uh, and, it, and it seems to, at this point, sort of run in the family. So after a tragedy in our family, me and my siblings and all the cousins were kind of together, actually at the wake. And we gave each other permission to randomly and aggressively check on this specific thing in each other's lives. Uh, that, because we know it's a problem. And so we, have, we gave each other authority to speak into that uh, for the rest of our lives. And it's been a huge blessing. I'll give some counterexamples maybe to the way the Lord speaks to this, uh, how we're going to go about this. We think maybe of the, the sort of aggressive street preacher uh, who's calling out the sin of the world. And maybe what they're saying is true. Maybe it's legitimate. Maybe all of it makes sense. Uh, but what they often do, I'm not going to say this of all street preachers because I've, I've seen some very fruitful street preaching. But what they do that's often wrong is to do it in a way that's neither comes from love nor in a nor nor is it personal and those are two very key things it has to be personal and it has to come out of love and then the flip side of that is maybe the the friend who's always pleasant to hang around the friend who doesn't call us out in our vices in fact they seem to encourage vice um, and, and not not out of some malicious sense but because they have a sense of false compassion, this false empathy, like, well, if you want to do it, then do it, man. That's, gr- that's good. You know, if it makes you feel good, get after it, you know. You be you. That's a false compassion. It's a false empathy. That's not the kind of friends uh, we're called to be. So we're called to love one another, but truly to love one another. And that takes courage and love and most often uh, real friendship. And I think that's where we often miss the boat on fraternal correction. Sometimes the Lord inspires us to do it in a a weird and random context. I had a professor once who, he'd only been teaching us for maybe three or four weeks uh, in the first year of seminary, and he came into class and he was doing a lesson and none of us were engaging. And so he just stopped and he said, you guys are the worst class I've ever had. You have cold hearts. You have no love for each other. Uh, You have no love for the Lord. And I don't want to teach you anymore. And he just walked out. And we all just sat there like, who is he? He doesn't know us. Um, We were kind of feeling that way, you know, feeling like we'd been, this guy can't speak into our lives. But then we actually started talking about it with each other and we're like, wow, he's right in every single way. So that was truly prophetic uh, (laughs) on his part. But that's a rare bird. You know, we have to really feel it from the Lord uh, to be able to pull that one off. Normally, it's one-on-one. It's incredibly awkward and incredibly difficult. Um, But love is often awkward and difficult because it takes a true selfless, like not caring about ourselves, but but about the other. So let let the Lord inspire this uh, in your life, wherever necessary. Um, And let the Lord give you the grace to receive it from those who give it to you uh, when it's necessary as well.